Alrighty, guys, welcome to a special Saturday musical osmosis where intelligent dissident thought meets melodic euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Source, broadcasting to you live, as always, from the top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And no Odell today. Sadly, Odell's father passed away last week. So he will not be here. Mm, I'm hoping he'll be back by next episode. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants here. But one person who is always by my side is the beans to my cornbread, D, the soon-to-be AGT producer. Yes, I am always here. I am getting ready for the AGT audition. I'm I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of nervous. Uh, you know, I can still sleep. So that means we're doing good still. Um, but I'm fully aware that that will happen. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool Saturday. Yes. And deepest condolences to the Norman family. Um, I grew up playing in government cheese and a couple other little side bands in Odell's parents' basement during the nineties. And um, the Odell, Odell's parents, the Odells, the Normans are awesome people, and Odell's dad was awesome. So this is really a sad moment. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks big time. Like, way more than Tom Petty. Like, it's just, you know, it's just the way it is. Well, and, you know, Lori, our friend Lori's mom just passed away, too. And I guess we are at the age where the grandparents are kind of all been cleared off the board. And now the parents are starting to whisk away into the ether. And you know what that means? We're fucking next. Oh, shut your mouth. Another 20 years, every time we open up our Facebook, it's going to be like this friend passed away. And not, you know, from young stuff like drug overdoses or car wrecks, but from actual health issues, their bodies are just going to break down. What what a great way to start a Saturday musical osmosis, isn't isn't it? it? Thanks for that. Thanks so much for that. Uh, but it's All okay. right, let's shift gears and talk about some of the happy stuff coming up on the show. Yes, we have tons of happy things coming up on the show. Uh, for example, tomorrow we are going to be speaking with comedian Yadoye Travis, who is going to be on the upcoming season of uh, TBS's Search Party. And we're also going to have... Uh, the supreme overlord of all things horsey and dental hygienic vermin supreme is going to join us once again uh the only presidential candidate we've ever had uh on the show he will be back along with uh rachel mason is going to be joining us and we are doing this super awesome awesomeness we are calling the 21 punk salute and that's going to be yeah and we are going to have a bunch of um, past performers on the show just to kind of get an update because some of them we haven't had on over the year, over a year yeah. or even more. We're going to have Jay on, our friend Jay from Narcoleptic Youth, Rick Sims from The Digits and the Super Suckers, Dave Smalley from Dag Nasty, Down by Law, uh, Danny Cox from The Feathers, and Steve Moriarty from one of your favorite bands, from The, the Gifts. Yes, yes. And I also um, have a couple other past guests that i'm talking to last minute because i really want to round out this schedule yeah it's going to be pretty cool um we are also going to be working on our new web series uh the misadventures of saucy so keep an eye on our youtube for that just go to youtube and look for uh tin can media and also of course you can find everything we do including today's episode if you need to go back and listen 
um, on www.tincan.media. And that's... Yeah, and on the um, YouTube, I just put a new video up today talking about a new morning rants for my bathrobe, talking mm -hmm. about guns and a Vegas shooter. So, you know, I, I expect a lot of shut up libtard comments headed my way soon. Well, that, that kind of comes with the territory, I think. Uh, but, yeah. But today... We are doing Today you were laughing. Let me interject real quick. I was in here <laughs> yes. tightening up last minute format stuff and you were curling your hair, laughing your ass off <laughs> to the musical and poetic musings of today's guest. Yes, I um it's funny because and I forgot to look this up on the IMDb because I was like, gosh, does he write for like Rick and Morty or does he work with Dana Carvey or because the the comedy style kind of reminds me of of those two which i love both of those by the way so it's a total compliment um but yeah yeah it's some funny shit so i've been laughing uh to some john s hall all morning it's been pretty awesome i see it a little bit differently i don't see it more in a comic as much in a comedy vein as you but we'll mix it up with him um right now actually john what's up hello how are you I am doing great this Saturday morning. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, and it is a busy schedule, to call into the show today. I don't know if it's all that busy. Well, I mean, you've I got... Mean, it's Saturday. I don't know how much there is. ...and a lot of creative pies, and I kind of want to start off with this, and I hope it doesn't sound too cheesy. Wait, wait, wait. Can I just, um, can I just uh, as long as you, you guys started on a death trip, so I wanted to um, give a shout-out to... Ivan Ulz, U-L-Z, uh, it's pronounced. Uh, he wrote a he wrote a number of great songs and was a good friend of mine. Um, and he died on Thursday morning. Um, and uh, so, so uh, that is sad. Uh, he will be missed. Uh, when I posted that he died on Facebook, uh, many many people wrote in to reminisce about him, um, uh, which made made us all i think the communal experience of uh, grief and mourning uh does somewhat uh m mollify or uh you know or 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 you know um, uh help uh help come to peace with it well what's weird to me is my ex-wife actually this was years ago when brad Knoll died from sublime i was like wow man this really sucks and she was like well why you don't know that guy and I was like, there's no performer that has touched you to the point where if they passed on. And this was when I was like in my early 30s. And now I'm 46, so I'm a lot closer to death, I think, age-wise and my mortality. But I was like, so there's nobody who's touched you as a performer where even though you don't know them, it would affect you? And she's like, no. And I just find that really odd because lots of performers passing does have an effect on me as a creator. When, uh, when John Lennon was shot, I'm 57. Yes, 57. Uh, when John Lennon was shot, I was uh, 20. And um, uh, my girlfriend at the time did not care. And it is one of the reasons, uh, I think, that we ended up breaking up soon after that. Um, wow. Not the only reason, but one of the reasons. I mean, when you can't, when you realize that you just aren't at all in the same I don't know. With something, I don't know. It, it, to me, it's like if it, well, if something like Las Vegas happens and the person lying next to you doesn't give a shit. Um, yeah. 
you know, it really does set off alarm bells. Not to compare one to the other, it's obviously a, a much bigger threat. Well, I don't know, what is a bigger tragedy? To lose a major artist like John Lennon? Um, I don't mean to diminish the lives of anybody, but um, and maybe we're all equal, but it doesn't always feel that way. Some losses, you know, if someone is 40, like John Lennon was, as opposed to 74, which my friend Ivan was, that also makes a difference. If you think they have more of a career ahead of them uh, or more of a life ahead of them, the death of a child is more tragic than the death of a grandparent and so on. Yeah. But it's a death of potential, though, right? Like, yeah. I went to my cousin Joey's funeral, who, oddly enough, my family's pretty unhealthy. I'm one of the healthier people in my family. But they're Greek. They're all overweight. They all chain smoke. And my cousin Joe didn't drink, didn't smoke, was in med school, went to the gym every day, and had a fucking heart attack and died on a treadmill at 32. And when we yeah. went to that funeral, the pastor was like, well, you know, Joey passed young, but not really young. And he kind of started parsing out like this age thing. And we seem obsessed with the age of people when they die because it's really about the loss of potential. A 10-year-old's death is going to hit us a lot harder than an 80-year-old because there's all that road ahead of him that he's never going to get to live, right? Uh, that's that's what it um that's 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 the way it seems now you know a hundred years ago uh kids you would uh, you know you would have eight kids because you know six of them or four of them would die um and i guess people adjusted to that a death of a child now may hurt more uh because most people don't have eight uh, or maybe it hurts the same i have no idea this show took a really morose turn from my like <laughs> yeah. opening statements to this. All right, let's shift gears because I want to talk about music with you, John, and I am going to fucking beat back the urge to turn this show totally political as I am a political animal, and I know you have very well-thought-out political thoughts yourself, but I kind of want to start... I don't know if they're well-thought-out. I'm pretty knee-jerk, really. Um, there are a few political issues I've thought about a lot, but most of them are kind of come automatic to me. Um, I, I, I do think of myself as intellectual in some areas, but when it comes to politics, I'm more emotional and visceral, and uh, I've hated Republicans since the, you know, uh, probably the late 70s. Oh, and that's apparent in your song, President, which I watched you do a spoken word version of the president in that Silver Tongue Devil video you put up yesterday. And I was actually yeah. thinking about starting this episode off with it, but I was like, uh, we do a political show that gets a lot of heat. I don't, I don't want to just be too combative on the political show. But, I mean, you're kind of harnessing the zeitgeist of where this country is right now with that spoken word slash song performance, because there is a lot of people right now fucking amped up and about politics in a way that probably nobody has been since the 60s. But, you know, actually, I'm kind of making a comment by reading that particular poem, um, because that poem was originally written about, uh, it was originally called The Mayor, and it was about Rudolph Giuliani. And then wow. I changed the words a bit. Then I changed the words a bit, um, and made it about George Bush. Um, and then um, uh, last month, it occurred to me it would work for, well, actually, it, it occurred to me earlier this year that it would work for Trump, but I hadn't tried it again since. But part of the point there is that, like, you know, in my view, the Republican Party just keeps 
spitting out people who um, really don't care about the vast majority of people. And you can say that about a lot of Democrats too, but um, but Republicans seem almost proud of how much they want to deprive a poorer people of uh, what they need. Yeah, and that's how America works now. You don't like yeah. what somebody's saying? Just, you know, the other day, Danielle put a post up and it, about blocking anybody or unfriending anybody who uses the n-word or hate speech on her page and this guy tunes in he's like well you're no better than the nazis you're victimizing me if you unfriend me on facebook you're victimizing me because you're taking my freedom of speech because i can no longer have access to your facebook posts how the fuck you're older than me john how the fuck did we get here um well i mean i think as many people have said that people are freer to express their emotions in you know in print uh, than they are um, than they are uh, you know face to face um, or or even let's say on television let's say so I think in the old days people would write letters uh, that were full of vitriol people are very comfortable saying really thoughtless things. Uh, uh, over, you know, over the internet, um, right. where they feel anonymous and safe. And I think that, you know, it's like, you know, like the comments section of news articles and Facebook and various other things. People just, they enjoy flame wars. Um, I understand enjoying it, you know. I don't tend to do it myself. I, I, I like to perform the stuff, but I don't particularly like to write it uh, on the internet because that to me feels weak but that, I mean for me to do it I'm not saying for anyone else most people don't have the kind of forums I get to stand in front of people and and scream about things that make me angry and most people don't have that luxury I agree I totally agree um as far as political speech on King Missile the third in that incarnation of King Missile, you had a few political songs like the one we were just talking about, the president. But I noticed yeah. you don't mix a whole lot of politics in your music. Is this by design because it is so toxic, or is it just something you're not interested in doing um, creatively? Um, when I'm moved to speak politically, I do. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's probably right that Missile didn't. I mean, that my work. What do I want to say? I wrote a, a pro-choice piece in the er, in the early '90s, um, um, and uh, I don't know. Maybe the political things don't for me work as well. Like I write them, but I don't always like them, so I don't record them. I I tend to record the things that I'm happy with. Um, but in the early 2000s. Uh, the president and politics in general were particularly inspirational. I, I remember writing something about the contract on America, as we used to call it. Um, um, I don't know what happened to that piece, but I read that a bunch of times when the Republicans uh, were trying to retake the House, which they did that year, 92. Um, so, you know, there are times when I feel moved to write about politics. Um, and times when I don't. Um, during the Obama years, I wanted to say things about how disappointed I was about some of the things he was doing, um, but I didn't find the right tone. And for Trump, I've only written, I think, two things, um, you know, and dragged a couple of things out from the woodworks. Um, but yeah, Bush was particularly inspiring. 
Uh, Nancy Pelosi recently said something where she contrasted Trump favorably against Bush, saying, you know, that Bush started a war for no reason, which Trump hasn't done yet. And I found that really surprising, but I also thought, you know, Bush made me angrier quick, more quickly than this president has really? before. Um, I think so. I mean, I still think of this president as something of a joke. I realize he's extremely dangerous, um, and he's said a lot of terrible things, um, but he hasn't caused the deaths as, of as nearly as many people as Bush has, or for that matter, uh, Obama. Well, we're only nine months in, John. We're only nine months in, it's true. So, and also, I mean, the violence, I think that the divisions and the stirring up of hateful feelings that he causes across the country is tearing away at our fabric, you know, of democracy in a way we've never seen before. Yeah, and some of the violence that happens after his presidency, he'll have to take the blame for. I mean, he won't, but we'll have to blame him for. It'll be proper for us to blame him for. Just as, you know, the economy that the next president inherits will 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 be, um, you know, uh, on, on Trump's hands. Because um, uh, I do think we're headed for a crash soon. Uh, yep. Uh, if we if we continue down the road to deregulation, is this interesting to your listeners? I'm not sure what they're into. I um, you know, I go back and forth. I know the music show. I tried to keep the politics off of it, but me and you have such strong opinions about things. I knew we were going to go down this rabbit hole a little bit. I can pivot a little bit to your work because I'm looking over everything you do, and you're an author, a poet, a spoken word performer, even a lawyer. But if I go out on the street and ask the average guy, hey, John S. Hall, you know, do you know him? Here's some things he's done. Everybody will probably be able, most people, will be able to pick you out from King Missile, Detachable Penis. Um, is that, are you comfortable with that being the resounding thing you're known for? Or do you not even give a shit about public recognition like that? Well, on the one, I mean, public recognition isn't nearly as important as you know, moving particular people. So, like, if I get an email from somebody who says, you know, you're the reason I I decided to become a writer, or um, you got me through high school, or you know, that kind of stuff. You know, that's you know the the impact you have on individual people. You know, the deep impact that you hope to have as an artist. For me, that's why I do it, not to try to attract millions of listeners, although it's probably a fact that millions of people have heard Detachable. Does it bother me that millions of people have heard that? I think that's a fairly representative example of what I do. Um, So unlike some people who are known for things that are kind of very different from the rest of their work, I can't think of examples Mm. offhand, or, or, you know, someone like, you know, like that, you know, well, Van Gogh died before any, but like when you think of Van Gogh, you think of Starry Night, you think of some of his self-portraits, you think of this, you think of that, but he has a whole body of work that most people maybe would recognize if they saw it in a museum, but they don't know it, you know. So, that's I a mean, great that's point. The nature, that's the nature of being known is that you tend to be known primarily for a handful of works or maybe for a style. Like Picasso is known for several different styles. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, and 
well, what, anyway, I keep talking about artists, but, but like when you think of a particular artist, like uh, Rothko, you know, you get an idea, um, but maybe you don't get a particular painting. Uh, or same with Pollock, because they're abstract expressionists. Yeah. But when you think of Vermeer, you think of the girl with the pink pearl earring or something else, you know, um, that's a particular painting. But, you know, it's if you care about that sort of thing, and I would lie, if, be lying if I said I don't care at all, it's nice to be known for something. Most people, most people I know who have bands aren't known for anything you know, outside of a small circle of local friends. Well, and what I like about you guys, and I felt similar when I kind of reconnected with Dead Milkman, because you were a band I listened to a lot throughout the 90s, and same with Dead Milkman, and then I kind of lost track of, and this show allows me to not also get turned on to new artists, but to be inspired by rediscovering that artists are still out there pounding the pavement and working. And I think people gravitate to, towards stuff because it's either a, like they make a connection of who they are or who they want to be. And I'm a very well-measured me person. Creatively, everything I do, I look at through a microscope before I release it. And you, and same with um, Joe from Dead Milkman, it seems like you guys have this unbound creativity and you're not stuck inside of a formula you know, you do a lot of stuff within the band. You do a lot of stuff spoken word. And I really respect that. And for me as an artist, I like looking at that and going, well, fuck, I wish I could just get up and do the president and go off like that as a creative endeavor. And that's a skill set or a talent or however you want to frame it. And that that really inspires me as somebody who likes to create. Um, I'm not sure I get your point about, I mean, like, at first I thought you were saying, like, that I am willing to sometimes release stuff before I think it's finished. Uh, this morning, I had an idea for a poem, and I wanted to finish writing it and post it on Facebook before I had to call you. Um, and I managed to do that. I was willing to let go of it was completely a mess, but it was enough. It was in enough shape that I felt like I could post it. So. Um, um, and and that's often how I go. It's like, uh, who is it? Duchamp said, you know, about his works, not that they were done, but that they, he called them finally unfinished, right? So like he doesn't want he. It's the point where you stop putting more into it, and sometimes you can ruin something by putting too much into it, right? Um, you there? Yeah. yeah, and you're oh. but you're okay. right online yeah. with what I was what that's the point I'm yeah. trying to make is I wouldn't release yeah. something. But, but the president, but the president was written and it's been reworked a couple of times like I added a line to make it, you know, just one little two couple of words about Trump um and originally it was about Giuliani. I had to change the words a little bit um and I changed the title obviously. So I do work with them and some poems or songs like, I have a song for the Bushwick Book Club on Tuesday, um, which I started writing last week, and I still haven't finished it, um, because it's a song, because I want it to fit within a certain structure. There may be some spoken part to it, but I haven't completely figured out what it is yet. A lot of my stuff is automatic, and that comes out of the Jack Kerouac school, or the sense of, like, with Ginsburg, wanting it to sound spontaneous, even though in Ginsburg's case, it probably, it usually wasn't. It was worked and reworked. But, but Kerouac wrote, like, you know, he just wrote 
like automatically. Yeah. You know, um, uh, what's his name said? Truman Capote said, that's not writing, it's typewriting. You know, and ah. sometimes for me that is what it is, right? So it is just typewriting, but then you find a section of it or you or or the whole thing and you say, well, this part is good. And you and you put a frame around it, you give it a title and, and then it's done, you know. Yeah, so that well, is one approach, but I, it doesn't have to be the only approach. And you can do it that way if you want to. Well, yeah, I think I, I think I, I what Nick's thing that. is he um, he has this thing, and I was with him when he was working on his children's book that he wrote, and like no joke, every line, every word would be like, well, do you think I should use this word or this word? Well, I don't know. Do you think these two words sound better together or these two words? Like it was just really <laughs> almost overthought. But I think, especially with yours, and I think probably the reason I like it so much is because so much of your work seems very freeing like it seems like it's just almost the way that i think like it just kind of flows and you don't yeah stream of it. consciousness yeah and you don't you don't <laughs> yeah. um you don't manage it you just let it go wherever it's going to go and when you're done that's when you might tweak it but you just kind of let it all come out and see where it sits and see what thank it you makes. d you yeah. framed that perfectly that well, is what i mean you're I, a lot I, more free and <laughs> than how i write that, that is, is like 80% yeah. of what I do is done that way. I think I that's it. right. Although I do make those decisions sometimes in, in real time, like which word or, or like as I write a sentence, I'll say, oh, I could have some alliteration if I stick another word that begins with B right over here. That means the same thing. So I'm going to do that. So I do make those kind of changes on the fly. Um, and, um, but I don't, but usually I don't mess with the thing too much once I think it's done. And it's usually written in a, in a few minutes. Yeah, I love wow. it. It's definitely. So end of the thought. day, let me ask you this. End of the day, do you feel like you consider yourself a poet and or spoken word performer who just happens to be accompanied by some really good music? Or do you consider yourself a musician as well, in addition to being an author and a poet? I haven't thought of myself as a musician until very recently when I started writing like actual chords to go um, with stuff I'm writing. Uh, so I've written like, uh, I think maybe in the last few months, uh, I've written a few things by figuring out chords on a ukulele that I bought in September. Um, but uh, so I've never, so I thought of myself as a person who works with musicians. Um, so, um, you know, the, the guy who writes the words and performs them, um, but not a musician. Um, gotcha. yeah. Um, but, but there are times now when I'll wear the musician hat. Um, and, and in the studio, there are times when I would make comments about like the sound. Um, but I don't know music. I don't read it. I don't know music theory. Um, I'm only starting to learn that stuff and it's really interesting and it's definitely going to change the way I write some of what I write. But, um, at 57, like, was that something you had to grow into? What's kind of the catalyst for you now taking an interest in becoming quote unquote a musician? Well, um, it's nice to ask people, Hey, uh, could you figure out some chords for this thing that I wrote? Um, but it occurred to me that there are times when I hear things in my head and it would be nice to just be able to, 
to like uh, earlier this year I was coming up with melodies for things and trying to figure them out on the keyboard and it got very frustrating um, and I realized it doesn't help most musicians to know exactly what note I'm singing with every line uh, what they need to know or what are the root chords you know and then I realized that if I had a, a stringed instrument that was relatively easy to play I could figure out what the chords are um, or or I could come I could fool around and find the, the, the chord and then write a melody behind the chord so or the chords so um, it, it's it's just a simpler approach and I find that I really like playing you know like if I can I would play like an hour or two a day but uh, most times I get like maybe a half hour or so to do it and it's I don't know it's good I also I, I think I was kind of restless earlier this year just wanting to learn some new things so I also went to this Duolingo site where you can learn uh, various languages and uh, I try I'm trying to relearn some French and also learn some Spanish so does mortality and age so have anything mind... to do with that? Are you kind of like in a place where you're like, wow, I'm 57. I really want to cram as much creativity and knowledge in my head as possible. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, when I was 55, I wanted to do. I wanted to get King Missile back together again and perform with them. I don't know why I do what I do but like I try to listen to what I'm trying to tell myself I guess you know that's right what on. I try to do yeah and I think that's all any of us can do and as a creator who like I said I'm 46 so I'm a little bit behind you age-wise but I know for me it's like okay I don't know if this is pure ego or narcissism, but for me, it's kind of like a legacy. It's like, what am I going to leave my kids? It's the reason I wrote a children's book. What am I going to leave my grandkids? How am I going to be? How's my voice going to be heard a hundred years from now when somebody pulls up a, a fucking hologram of me or something? And I'm always kind of thinking in those terms. And once again, back to my original point, you seem to be someone who lives very much in the moment. And I wish I could do that. I'm a little bit too neurotic to do that. Um. I've become convinced that the moment is the only thing that you have and it's the only thing that matters, you know, and as long as you're true to the moment, the past and the future will take care of itself. Um, even or not take care of itself. There's you can only really exist and control the moment, I guess is what I want to say. Everything else and, and not even that, really, um, but everything else is like, you know, my idea is if I do the best I can, then the future will be better than if I don't do the best I can, right? And it's hard to do the best you can all the time, and I don't, but that's the goal, you know? Um, I also wrote a children's book this year um, because a few years ago I was writing stories for my kid, um, and I wrote like four of them, and I read them to her, and I think she was too young for them. And then a few months ago, I was like, I was reminded of one of them. And so I read it to her again, and she liked it. And she asked if there were more, and I read her the other ones. And then she said, will you write more? So I wrote more. Wow. And I, when I had like 15 of them, um, I just sent them off to a friend of mine who has a publishing company, but um, he hasn't gotten back to me. So maybe I'll put it out myself. I don't know. But, you know, I write them because they're fun to write, you know. When they stop being fun or she stops being interested in them, I'll probably stop. She's what matters, you know, like, 
you know, and she'd probably like to have one copy of the book and she's the audience for that. You know, I don't know that anyone else would like it, but, but I was at a party and I told this guy who's a publisher, oh, I just accidentally wrote a children's book and he said, let me see it. So, so I sent well, it to him, but he probably didn't like it because he didn't get back to me. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll get out there though. I mean, you have a way of always putting out your stuff and I've been looking at your blogs the you know your John S Hall blog, but also the this fucking guy blog too, yeah. and you work in so many different forms, and that's another thing about not really having a set formula. And I'm trying to branch out and do more of that because I really like the way that you create. Um, well, thank you. Um, I'm not always happy with the way I create. Like this morning, the thing I wrote somehow it started rhyming and I found that really confining because I wanted to say more than I said in that poem um, and it ends up saying less because because it rhymes um, but I still am happy I did it um, and it, I felt okay with it enough to let it out there but there's a lot of stuff that I just feel like no you you know I can't let anyone see this it's too it's not ready or it's too fucked up or whatever yeah. Although I did a, a few years ago, I had this experiment where I was like, I'm going to write the most fucked up thing that I would never, ever dare read in front of people. So I'll be completely free to write the most fucked up thing because I know I'm never going to read it in front of anybody. And then I read it in front of people. You know, and what's the reaction? How's that go over? Well, I'm always surprised how understanding people are or how much they enjoy something that seems to come from like the darkest, most disgusting, perverted, fucked up place that I can find inside myself. Well, with Trump's America and social media, I think that door has been kind of kicked open as far as anybody kind of being able to say anything. But then again, you've got the other side of the coin where everybody's also offended by everything. These are strange times. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are offended by Trump. Um, you know, I, I certainly am. I think... You know, it's like he uses language that I use. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't, I try not to express proudly my white male privilege the way he does, right? Um, uh, and I don't, I don't like to spout sexist fucked up anti-women shit like he does but but in terms of like his actual language i'm just as crass as he is maybe crasser you know i'm just as disgusting on a certain level you know it's just like i feel like i'm i you know i <laughs> i would rather say disgusting fucked up things about rich powerful republican people <laughs> than 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 the poor than minorities. Than Amen to that. You know, so it's tone and, versus so it's context. It's a question of where you direct your disgustingness. It doesn't mean you're less disgusting. <laughs> right. It's tone versus context, right? Yes. Yes. And, and I think you're absolutely right about that. We've only got a few minutes left. I want to um, kind of pivot over and talk about your side project, Unusual Squirrel, and your new album, Fuck Sandwich. Um, I got to tell you, and I wrote you this as well, the quartet is one of the best things I've heard all year. And I'd play it on a show, but it's eight minutes long. So I'm going to play my second favorite song off of that here in a second, Pants. But 
And I also learned that you have a third project going on as well. And this is what I mean. You have your hands in a lot of creative pies. King Missile the Fourth. You guys are still performing, right? This isn't. You're not totally no, no. walking King away Missile from the that. Fourth, King Missile the Fourth played in, did a tour in New Zealand, played a few shows in Los Angeles, and made like a, a six song EP in 2014 or 15. Um, and that was it. But King Missile the Second, really, you know, the the version that made Detachable is playing on the East Coast on occasion, and we're playing on uh, uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, of October 2017 at Union Hall, and the next day at the Loft in Poughkeepsie, October 14th. Um, and then my other band that you're mentioning is called Sensation Play, and they're playing at Little Skips in Williamsburg, October 28th, I think it is. It's the Saturday, last Saturday in October. And that's like a male submission, sex perversion-themed band that we're like, uh, you know, again, my fucked up sex shit goes in that bucket right now. And uh, and so that's what that band is for. Uh, and uh, and King Missile mostly plays the hits from from the earlier albums um, and some covers that we find. That's amazing. That you have all those yeah. different outlets. So tell yeah. us about Unusual Squirrel, like how it came about, well, who you're playing with and what you guys are doing now as far as touring wise. Well, when I got King Missile back together. Um, we would rehearse, we would play our old stuff, which is what people seem to want to hear. But meanwhile, I was writing new stuff. And some of it I just didn't picture with like the loud rock electrical band that King Missile is. So I wanted like a quieter thing that was definitely lyric focused, um, but also sounded pretty, you know, decent musically as well. So I got, you know, I had some friends um, that, you know, we were going to each other's performances and I just asked them to work with me. And, um, uh, we did, we started that in 2015, I think towards the end of 2015. And, uh, over the course of last year, we recorded it and then we put it out this year. Um, and we have like, I don't know, another eight or nine songs. It's just a matter of when we go into the studio again to make another one. But I love the project. It's Susan Huang, um, on, on drums and, and keyboards and she's the person who organized the Bushwick book club, which I'm doing next Tuesday that we do wow. at Barbez. We do a, we do a book every month. We write a song about a particular assigned book. So, um, so that's a uh, Tuesday, the 10th of October. And, uh, and that's really fun. And she's been really inspiring to me over the last few years. So it's really great. She's also in sensation place. So she's in the other two of my bands. And uh, and then Ray Brown is also an unusual squirrel. Um, he's a great friend um, who I've known for several years. Um, and uh, and and Preston Spurlock does the keyboard. So it's Ray on guitar and and key- keyboards, and Preston Spurlock on keyboards as well. So it's very keyboard driven. And um, yeah, it, you know they're like kind of open to anything, and uh, it's a lot of fun working with them. Uh, Charlie Nealon produced the record. And uh, we called it Fuck Sandwich because the first song has the word fuck in it and the last song has the word fuck in it. I, I arranged a set, set that Brilliant. way live. And I, I arranged a set live that way. And Susan said, like right there on stage, she said, 
so fuck sandwich and i was like that's a great title for the album so <laughs> well it's so funny when you have the all album. these creative endeavors and i had seen this um youtube video from this documentary from oh my god it was like 25 years ago called cut time and when we're talking about creating you had said in that video you were like i think i have the quote here you do what you do for a deep spiritual purpose that you don't yet understand. Do you feel like you understand that purpose anymore 25 years later with all these different projects going on? Well, I mean, I think I think I put it well a, a few minutes ago when I said, you know, I, I try to listen to what it is that I want myself to do. There, there is this sense of like, you know, this is where the, this God impulse comes from. This, these times when you think you're getting a message that seems to not be completely of you, even though it's inside you. Um, so when wow. you're writing, when I'm writing, you know, like it often feels like I'm being taken over, you know, and, and it's just a matter of getting out of the way, as many people have said. You know, people say this about painting too, and, and, and playing music, composing music. You're, you're listening for, something you know and it feels like a very much of a of a you know a, a a process of receiving rather than projecting right you're taking it in and then you're putting it you, it's filtering through you rather than coming right out of you um sometimes it's coming right out of you like particularly when it's anger it feels that way but but yeah a lot of times it doesn't feel of me um but do I want to call that, what do I want to call that? Whatever I call it would be an inaccurate, this, you know, label, right? Um, Man, you nailed it. God. <laughs> I don't know. The word God is a confusing label, right? Yeah, Because it does suggest something outside of the self. And for me, it doesn't feel like something inside. It feels like something inside the self, even though it doesn't feel like me. So what I've been saying for the last couple of years is that what I feel is that there's something inside of us that people have historically called a soul, uh, and it unites sentient beings. Um, we all have it. Uh, some of us are more interested in accessing it and communicating it than others. Um, and sometimes I wanna, I wanna project it, and sometimes I can't. And so I try, and sometimes when I don't try, it happens. I don't know, blah blah blah. But yeah, does it feel so more like the religious... the id? Oh, it's though? in the quartet. What is it more like the id though? When you're talking about like more, if you look at more Freudian, do you and you don't want to use soul? Do you consider it more of like the id? I mean, to the extent that people understand what those terms are, I don't fully understand the difference between ego and super ego. I guess ego is. You know, but but I mean, sometimes it is id. I, I I think you know it's a very like primal impulse, and sometimes it's a more whatever. But I don't know. It's you know, the inner flame, <laughs> the inner light. You know, it's it's a it's it's mysterious. And um, could and, not agree and, more. And, 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 you know, and people who claim to completely be tapped into it and understand it completely are people I tend not to trust. And people who <laughs> deny it exists are people I tend not to trust. That's why, even though I think of myself as atheist, I don't like a lot of 
the new atheistic writing, which seems very anti-theistic, and I'm, you can be atheist without being anti-theistic, I guess. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people understand that I th because I myself consider myself agnostic because I don't think I have the answers. And I think as soon as you say atheist or agnostic, they say, well, then you're just inherently opposed to religion, Christianity in particular. And I just think that's a bullshit argument because that's not how I feel. Yeah, I mean, a lot of atheists are anti-Christian, but I mean, I'm not. <laughs> Right, and I'm right there with you. All right, we got to get out of here. I want to do this. Yeah. I want to play pants, and I want to come back for a few minutes and talk about daily negations because I got this book recently in the mail, and I really enjoyed it. So, D, why don't oh, you cool. hit pants, and then we'll talk a little bit about daily negations and get John out of here. God help me, I love that man's pants. They were a dark and stately gray with an understated green plaid pattern, barely distinguishable in a brief glance, which is all I dared to take. I didn't want to stare. But by God, they were fantastic pants, cut in a traditional but by no means stuffy or conservative style, not the least bit trendy or hipsterish, but timeless and tasteful and true. They were true pants, and God help me, I wanted them. I am not normally prone to jealousy or covetousness. To each their own, I say, although I would favor a massive redistribution of wealth from those who have far more than me to those who have far less. But in that moment when I saw those pants, I also favored a redistribution of those pants from the man who was wearing them to me. The man who was wearing the pants seemed perfectly amiable, and had I had his self-confidence, I might have been able to ask where he got the pants. Perhaps I would have learned that I could buy a pair for myself around the block for $40. Or perhaps I would have learned that they were purchased in Europe for 400 euros. But I learned nothing of the pants, so I will never know. I will never have such pants. In the moment I could not ask, so consumed as I was by envy and greed. And all I could think of was how I wanted the pants, those very pants. Not my own pair, but that pair. And not later, but now. I wanted them now. I wanted to hold a knife to the man's throat and say, Your life means nothing to me, pig. But if it means anything to you, you will give me those pants immediately because I wanted those pants so much. Oh, those pants so much better than mine that made me feel suddenly ashamed as if I were wearing pajamas. Perhaps the man wearing those pants wears pants like the ones I have on for pajamas. I have very occasionally worn these pants that I have on for pajamas. But here I am, wearing these pants instead of those wonderful, glorious pants. Pants of transcendent splendor and beauty. Fuck me, I wanted those pants so badly I could taste it like ashes in my mouth. I wanted to tear the pants off of him and put them on right there and then and head off in style to the recording studio. Instead, I walked right past him, did not smile, did not acknowledge him or his pants, but he has ruined my day, perhaps my year, perhaps the rest of my life, that man and his beautiful fucking pants. Such an awesome I, I, oh, I don't even want to call it a song because I think you're, what you do is so much more than songs. Um, wow, just to be in the mind of you yeah. for a day. That's so sweet. Um, that was written instantly, like right on the block where I'm standing. I was on my way to the uh, New Year's Eve, I'm sorry, the New Year's Day performance at St. Mark's. It's a marathon reading of poets. 
and I've been doing it most years for the last 20 years. And I was on my way, and I wrote that piece on New Year's Day 2016. And um, and I and I said to Ray, who's in, I was like, could we do it? I was like, no, 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 we'll do what we plan to do. And then the following year, January 1st of 2017, this year, we did it um, for the New Year's Day uh, marathon at St. Mark's Church, um, along with, uh, I think we also did uh, Better Not Fuck from that record. Um, so we had Unusual Squirrel Play. And um, and it's cool, like Preston does, like he switches the time signature in the middle of the song, so it's in five at a, at a certain point, which makes the whole thing a little bit more unsettling, which I think is brilliant and was completely his idea. And I also noticed it, it begins with the word God, and uh, it also has a Game of Thrones reference in it. So, yeah, so you know, things going on, right? Yeah, There's absolutely. Part, yeah, so, so uh, yeah. And I hate to sound like again. a broken record, but it's somebody who's very well measured. And I'm like, I've heard Eminem say this before, too. I mean, that guy sweats over every single word. When When you talk about writing these songs and they're just kind of so organic, I'm very mechanical in the process and I gravitate towards people who are the opposite because I see something in that and I, I would like to my creative pendulum to swing a little bit further in your direction. Well, I mean, like this is this is my secret, right? Like that day I saw this guy wearing these pants and I really liked the pants. And I decided to just go with that feeling. It's like you, you know, it's like surfing, and you're on a wave, you know, and you want to keep that feeling, you, you know, like in your heart or mind while you're writing. And that's why I do it so fast, because eventually I'm going to lose the feeling. I barely remember what those pants were like, and or wow, why I yeah. liked them so much, or any, you know. But like at that moment, I wanted to convey what I felt about the pants. So. So I had to write it immediately. Yeah, it's like a creative <laughs> volcano with you, it sounds like. Uh, Yeah, you know. Like kind of like a creative eruption. Cool. All right, let me finish up with this. Your book, I know it's an older book, about 10 years old, Daily Negations. Um, I ordered it. I had to beat back the urge to kind of read it all in one sitting because it is really good. So I'll read today, October 7th, Daily Negation, which is, there is no better feeling than the feeling that I have done something right. That feeling comes so rarely and it's so fleeting that I can never really enjoy it. So in a way, it's not a good feeling at all. And your book is filled with negative musings like this. Was this written as kind of absurdism or satirical, tongue-in-cheek, or is this the place you were in in 2007? Um, I think, oh yeah, the book came out in 2007. Well, there was an album by King Missile III called Failure, and the title track is this kind of like long-form um, negative uh, neuro-linguistic programming thing. So it's like Instead of doing an affirmation, it's like a, you know, a thing you would say that in, in front of the mirror about how terrible you are. So kind of like the reverse Stuart Smalley, is that his name? Ah, uh, uh, yes, character. yeah. You know, but also like what Stuart Smalley is doing is he's making fun of that whole industry of people who think that with platitudes and like positive thinking, um, you can somehow just get yourself out of any depression. You know, and I and I was feeling pretty depressed at that time. And I looked at a lot of those books and they made me feel worse. So I think part of what I was thinking was that, like, maybe a book that described really negative feelings might make some people feel better, you know, 
that they would feel less alone in their feelings of like, you know, self-hatred and fear and laziness and all the, you know, all the, all the things that we do to hold ourselves back and all the thought patterns, you know, just get them out there. So, you know, you're not alone. Like I said, I felt less alone writing it. Right. And, uh, and uh, that was my idea was that it would be fun for some people who get into those kind of negative spaces. One criticism of it that I think is fair, or I, I think uh, I appreciate, is that it's not dark enough. And uh, so I may return to it and, and work harder. I mean, like return to the idea and work harder at it. Well, in that tone, I, let me tell you a quick story and then we can get out of here about maybe around the same time period, a little bit later, 2008, I got into a bad marriage with my second wife. She left me. I was feeling suicidal, and I have a very upbeat, strong personality, but I was feeling suicidal for the first time in my life. And we all go through depression, but I was actually contemplating suicide. And I had a, I live in Knoxville now, but I still had a cell phone with a Virginia Beach area code. So I was like, man, I got to do something because I feel myself fucking unraveling. So I called Suicide Hotline and they were like, well, let me give you some addresses of some mental health clinics in your area so you can pick up some literature, or go talk to someone. And she was rattling off like places like Witch Duck, Virginia Beach Boulevard, places in Virginia Beach. And I said, hey, hey, I'm in Knoxville. And she's like, well, you're calling from a 757 area code. And I said, yeah, I realize that my cell phone is still Virginia Beach. And she's like, well, I don't have any information for you. And I was like, okay, well, can can you do something to help me? And she said, no, you need to talk to the call center in Knoxville. And I said, well, can you connect me? And they were like, no, you have to call like from uh, uh, 865 area code to get queued into that call center. So I can't real. it was like a fucking Ronnie Dangerfield bit, right? Like I called suicide hotline and they couldn't help me. Suicide hotline said, literally said, we cannot help you. And something snapped in me. And I was like, well, now I'm not suicidal. Now I'm homicidal. Now I want to kill you. Like, I'm not suicidal at all now. And the whole thing was so absurd. After I hung up the phone, I started laughing. And I was like, the universe isn't going to let me kill myself. And I didn't feel suicidal again after that moment. It was such a bizarre chain of events. Well, that sounds like a really good ad for the suicide hotline. So if anybody is listening and they're feeling like, yes. you know, not, not, not so you know, like they want to not go on, maybe call the suicide hotline. Maybe they'll make you angry enough to go on living. Yeah, I, 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 that is a great way to put it, too. I, that's how I exactly felt. All right, we started on a downbeat note. We ended on a downbeat note. Let's cut it there. John, where can everybody find you online, and what do you have coming up? Oh, I don't know. There's kingmissile.com, right? And then there's the John S. Hall blog, but I forget. What, is it the question? The question is at dot blogspot.com i think that's what it is or there's the one that's john hall.blogspot.com i've got to pick pulled up here and the question really john hall at, at john, john s hall, hall. john s hall okay. sorry dot blog talk or blogspot excuse me dot com oh, okay. and then okay. the question at dot blogspot.com okay yeah I'm, I'm glad you knew that because uh, I, I i i have it bookmarked so i forget <laughs> yep, and we got kingmissile.com too. Is up there as well. Yes. 
right. I'll, I try to, I'll try to keep that shit more up to date, but I can be emailed through the website. There's a contact thing if people really are curious about what's going on with me. Right on. All righty, sir. I want to thank you so much for calling in today. We're getting static again, so I will let you off the line, and we will end. Jesus is way cool. And, John, thanks so much for calling in today. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks so much. It was fun.